BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. My name's Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. And doesn't that spooky bonus episode music just really hit a nerve? It does. But like a great nerve. In a great way. Yeah. Oh. I feel great every single time I hear it. Delighted. And especially... On October, what 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 is what is the date? It is the second of it's October. The second. It's going to be the third when this comes out. It's the second day of Halloween. <laughs> I love <October>. Halloween tide. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! We're here. We've arrived at spooky season. We have, and there are bonus episodes all month long, especially if you are a subscriber over on Patreon. Yeah, you so- got tons of them. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you still got tons of bonus episodes, but you're missing out. Yeah. So I don't know what else to say about that, but just that should be enough you convincing. Can, right? You can make your own choices. <laughs> We're not going to try and persuade. You can just decide Yes. if that's for you or not. That's right. And we love you either way. We love you either way. But now we must ask the question, what are you drinking? I have made the deeply impractical decision to get a giant cup of ice from the gas station that I can't eat because I need to be able to record in a professional (laughs) manner. So I will watch my ice slowly melt as I narrate today's story Yeah, and watch Uh, you enjoy your drink, which is... My drink is one of the least autumnal drinks that Mm -hmm. I could have selected. True. (laughs) It is a simply spiked strawberry lemonade from the year 2021. It is the epitome of summertime. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's from 2021, but I do know that it's old enough to have sat in our fridge for a good long while. Yeah, for a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least 2022. Yeah. But I'm excited to drink it anyway. Good. Let's hear that crisp open. Yeah, here it comes. Ready? Wow. I know. What a great sound. That honestly could be in commercials. It could. This could be an ad. I just not. I'm just kidding. It's not an ad. How funny would that be if this whole thing was just secretly an ad the whole beginning? We were so secret. There was already an ad before we started, and then this whole intro was an ad, and then the music actually started again. But like, we're just not being upfront about it being an ad. (laughs) Yeah. 
I like oh that. There's gosh. like some mystery to that. Right, right. That I feel like is right up our alley. Right. 50 minutes in, all of a sudden, like the story actually starts and right. we're like, gotcha. <laughs> anyway, well, <laughs> for uh, these bonus episodes, my love, what do you have for us by way of feel good facts or games or what I do you got going on? Kind of thinking, why don't we do a spooky fact? Oh, that's a but, like, great idea. It's still idea. a fun fact, but it's got like a spooky theme. So I'm going to jump in with a spooky fact. Des Moines, Iowa has a unique trick-or-treating tradition known as beggar's night, where trick-or-treaters don't simply come to the door, knock, say trick-or-treat in their happiest voices, and then get some candy. But instead, they have to either do a trick or tell a joke in order to get their candy. (laughs) Beggar's night. Really? Mm -hmm. That's so funny. That's so close to here. I know. You would have thought I would have heard of that before. Yeah, I just read that the other day. That's so funny. How cute. That is cute. That that is a sweet, spooky, not that spooky, but it's a spooky. Like a spooky themed fact. Yes. Yes. It's a spooky month themed. Yes. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I love that. All right. Well, my dear, what do you have for us today? All right. So I'm going to start this off with a content warning. This story features a lot of conversation regarding domestic violence. And so if that's something you don't want to hear about, we are happy to have you back for this Thursday's episode. And with that, let's jump in. All right. So we've shared enough episodes in the last year and some odd months to be able to confidently say that there are plenty of less orthodox methods that have been employed over the years in order to solve a crime. We've got clown wig fibers being discovered in a car after a murder, which we talked about in one of our early episodes. (laughs) Yes. We have Teresita Bassa leaving a note with the name of her killer, ultimately resulting in his arrest. There's, we didn't talk about Mm. these ones, but there's the story of a parrot solving its owner's murder and pollen being the smoking gun needed to solve a crime in a different case. But today's story is relatively unique. And I think it demonstrates that sometimes we've got to follow every lead, no matter how bizarre those leads might be. This is the story of the Greenbrier ghost, the ghost that solved a murder. Ooh. So settle in, lower the lights and let's dive in, but hold on. Because this one's a doozy. Ooh, spooky. Yes, All right. that was really good. Thank you for that. I was actually thinking in my head, maybe we should like edit in a cool little, little ghostly, sound effect. Yeah. But like right at the end of the intro, but you did it for me. Here I am. Thank you. Live in, in the flesh. Yeah. So Elva Zona Heaster Shoe, or Zona, as she was mostly called, was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, in somewhere around 1873. There's not much information about her younger years, but she lived in the Richlands area in Greenbrier County for her entire life. (laughs) The Greenbrier County area has a far-reaching history, from settlers setting up permanent residency beginning in the 1760s to civil war conflict, conflict with indigenous people groups who lived on the land much, much longer. This 1,021-square-mile area is considered the mother county of West Virginia settlers. It's home to the Greenbrier River, rolling farmlands, and heavily forested mountains. And so the people who have called this place home for generations, and especially at the time of today's story, were tough, working the land and always prepared to combat incoming danger that is par for the course in landscapes such as a mountainous forest. Yeah. So we're going to fast forward to the fall of 1896. Zona Heaster Shoe was definitely a catch. She was beautiful and hardworking, and so she basically always had a line of men at her door wanting to court her. And while Zona was pretty easily dazzled by smooth-talking, handsome men, her mother, Mary Jane Heaster, 
was not so easily impressed. She saw through many of Zona's suitors and was not fooled by their fluffy words or empty promises. She feared for Zona sometimes because it seemed pretty clear that her daughter had a taste for the bad boys. Mm. She'd also had her heart broken leading up to the fall of 1896 when she became pregnant out of wedlock, which was a huge deal at the time. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. And the man who had gotten her pregnant had also abandoned her immediately upon hearing the news that she was pregnant, leaving her to care for the baby all by herself. Oh, what? Yeah. So he didn't, I mean, literally like eight months before the baby was born, this guy just peaced out. Oh, geez. Which is really sad. Yeah. I feel like there would have been some pretty serious consequences for like doing that in general. But I guess guys get away with well, stuff. Well, I was going to say for the for the woman, too. yeah, there yeah. very regularly is I mean there are consequences built into every facet of your life when that happened back in the day. Yeah. And then men, unless they were married, like they couldn't get charged with like desertion or anything like oh, that because crazy. they weren't legally married. Yeah. And to so. just run off was probably a bit easier than yeah, it back, is today. Yeah, back when there weren't you know, cameras everywhere, right. <laughs> smartphones, all that. Yeah. So really her mother just wanted Zona to find a nice, hardworking man who would love and care for her and her baby, but it was not to be. So it was during that time that 23-year-old Zona was out and about running errands. She stopped at the Livesays Mill owned by James Cruikshank. She just so happened to catch the attention of a blacksmith who had recently started working there, 37-year-old Erasmus Trout Shoe. So... I've seen him referred to as Edward and as Trout. Hmm. So I'm just going to pick one and roll with it. And I'm going to call him Trout. Okay. So Trout had been working at the mill for a short time before he and Zona crossed paths after moving to town from Pocahontas County looking for work. Trout was described as a big, powerful man with dark hair, striking blue eyes and charm for days. (laughs) The two quickly fell into a whirlwind romance. And after just a few short months on October 20th, 1896, the two were married. Oh, wow. Yeah, very fast. Very fast. Very, very fast. They quickly moved into a cute two-story frame house on the opposite side of Sewell Mountain from where they met in order to be closer to Zona's mother, Mary Jane. It's worth pointing out that Mary Jane had always had a bad feeling about Trout. Mm. She attempted to run through her usual list of questions that she would kind of fire off at Zona's suitors, but Trout refused to answer any of them, leading Mary Jane to suspect that this otherwise charming man might be hiding a secret of some kind. But alas, she couldn't stop them from doing what they wanted to do because they were both adults. Right. For the first two months of marriage, all seemed to be going smoothly. But suddenly, in late December or early January, Zona suddenly fell ill. Out of the blue, her illness had completely taken over her life, making each day a constant struggle and each of her expected tasks more and more difficult to complete. Oh, no. This led Trout to reach out to the neighbor boy, an 11-year-old named Andy Jones, to ask him if he could run some of Zona's errands and to do some of her chores for her while she recovered. Hmm. Andy happily agreed to this arrangement. Zona's condition continued to worsen, and the local doctor, a fella I've seen referred to as J.M. Knapp, and George Knapp would get involved, but would be unable to pinpoint the source of Zona's illness. Hmm. I saw that he wrote down female troubles. Ah, yes. So he was a really good doctor. That's a classic, (laughs) classic case. Yeah, classic case of female troubles. (laughs) On January 23rd, 1897, Andy popped over to the shoe's home to check on Zona and see if she needed anything picked up from the store. When he walked inside, all was quiet in the home, which likely wasn't out of the ordinary, 
but it was made all the more chilling when Andy discovered Zona's body mm. laying sprawled out on the foot of the stairs. She oh, was man. super sad. She was stretched out. Her head was slightly turned to one side with one of her eyes wide open and staring blankly. She rested one arm across her stomach and the other was stretched out by her side. Andy ran as fast as he could and told his mom what had happened. Mrs. Jones called Dr. Knapp and informed him of what had happened to Zona, and then Andy ran all the way to Livesay's mill to tell Trout. And from the second Trout heard that his wife was dead, he sprang into action. Hmm. So this whole next chunk of the story, you're going to be so annoyed. It's infuriating for so many reasons. And I'm just going to point it out now. Most obviously, this is annoying because it seems so crystal clear that something was off about Zona's death and like Trout's incoming reaction to it. And the whole investigation was handled so poorly. So just brace yourself. Mm, First of all, Dr. Knapp took a full hour to get to the shoe home to begin a coroner's examination, despite the fact that it should have taken him mere minutes to arrive based on reports about the day. Oh, seriously? Mm Mm-hmm. When Dr. Knapp did show up, he made his way into the home to discover that Zona's body was not at the foot of the stairs as it was reported, but that Trout had moved her body to their bed. He had also taken it upon himself to clean up her body and change her clothes, a responsibility that was typically left to the women in town or to like people, like friends and family that were a little bit less close to the deceased as a way of kind of easing the burden off of the shoulders of the closest grieving loved ones. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. And so it was weird that he did that. Hmm. He dressed her in a high and stiff collared dress and placed a veil over her as well. So all of that in and of itself is odd, but his strange behavior didn't stop there. Oh no. As Dr. Knapp was working to determine a cause of death, Trout would burst into hysterics, cradling her head and crying, which made it very difficult for Dr. Knapp to properly examine the body. At one point during the examination, Dr. Knapp noticed some bruising on Zona's neck, and when he went to take a closer look, Trout snapped into a fury, cursing and behaving violently and erratically towards the doctor. Oh, no. And it was this outburst that caused Dr. Knapp to just wrap it up and call it a day. So despite not performing a thorough examination of Zona's body, he ruled her cause of death to be either pregnancy complications or everlasting faint. Oh, God. Which is just code for heart failure. So I'm sure that I don't need to point this out, but this is obviously strange for like a thousand reasons. Yeah. For one, why did Dr. Knapp take so long to get there? Two, why was an erratic, grieving loved one allowed to attend a postmortem medical exam, especially when he was behaving in such a way that the exam couldn't even be thoroughly completed? Right. Why was Trout not asked to leave at any point during this exchange? Why would Trout react violently about the bruising on Zona's neck? And why wouldn't he want Dr. Knapp to figure out a definitive cause for his new bride's extremely untimely death? Then there's the issue of Dr. Knapp just being like, I don't know, maybe she was pregnant or her heart failed. Yeah, just kind of like throwing in the towel on even trying. Right. She was 23 years old and Mm. nobody close to her knew anything about her being pregnant, which would have been out of character for her to keep that information away from her friends and family. Right. And 23-year-olds that are generally healthy don't just randomly drop dead from heart failure. Not normally. That's not, especially back in the day. That was right. not as that was not as common. I feel like right. that's not, not that common it's now. It's not common now, and people are far less active than they were then. Back then, you literally had to be active right. to live. So right. she had the conditioning 
to be up and moving about that her heart wouldn't just burst. Yeah. Well, and I find it very strange. And this this Dr. Knapp, he's been gone for a while. So I don't feel like I'm like besmirching the good doctor to say this. <laughs> the fact that he noticed bruising, the husband responded so dramatically and aggressively. Yeah. yeah. And then he just chose to not follow up on that at all. Right. Is extremely concerning. Yes. So even still, that's that's how it played out. When Mary Jane Heaster heard the life-shattering news that her daughter was dead, her whole world came crashing down around her. Mm. Some sources I used said that Mary Jane immediately said that the devil had killed her daughter, implying what everyone else should have been thinking, that Trout had killed Zona. Wow. Mary Jane fought hard for an autopsy to be completed on Zona's remains, but Dr. Knapp was satisfied with his initial ruling, and so it was up to her family to plan a funeral and burial arrangements. The day after her death, which was January 24th, Zona's body was taken to her mother's house to be prepared for her wake and burial. It was a pretty common practice at the time to send the deceased to their closest family member's home for all of the funeral proceedings, especially in rural areas like this, in order to give all of the family and friends time to travel, mm-hmm. to like come, pay sure. their respects, yeah. bring food for the family and all of that kind of stuff before the family would find a cemetery and band together to bury their loved one. Mm-hmm. So- I do think it's like a very interesting thing that we've got it so like the the process of of death, funeral arrangements, burial arrangements is such a well-oiled machine now. Mm-hmm. But literally the family members would have to get shovels and find a place and bury their loved right. ones themselves. That was right. just what they did. And I know that that's like, duh, but it's such a odd thing to actually consider. Right. We actually think about what that would be like. Right. Now there's a whole... Um, efficient system and mm-hmm. even industry in a way mm-hmm. um, of making that happen. And yeah, it's crazy to think. Yeah. Really, that's not that long ago. I know. That people just had to bury their own dead. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly so wild to me. They yeah. have to think about. Never thought about that before. I know. Me neither. So for the whole weekend after Zona's death, Trout appeared to have been a very attentive widower almost never leaving Zona's body for more than a minute or so at a time. Hmm. So if this was a normal man, it wouldn't be impossible to just assume that this was how this particular person grieved, but his behavior started raising red flags for more than a few people. Not only did he stand directly at Zona's head for the whole weekend, but he also allowed nobody to get very close to her open coffin. He was observed placing a pillow and rolling up a sheet off to the side of her head, multiple times, like propping her head in a certain way and would get exceptionally defensive of her body if someone came over while he was in the process of adjusting the pillow in the sheet. Mm. He also tied a large scarf around Zona's neck, insisting that it was her favorite. And if anyone asked him about the whole pillow sheet scarf combo, he would tell them that she needed those things so she could, quote, rest easier. What? So I know that people... Different people grieve differently. And I don't want to shame anyone for going through like the full gambit of human emotion in the immediate aftermath of losing a loved one. But Zona's friends and family described his behavior kind of like a pendulum swing. He would be hysterically sad, then manically happy, then extremely angry and belligerent, and then extremely sad again, which felt off Hmm. to plenty of the funeral goers. and, And it was like they were catching him going from... I'm playing a character right now to what he was actually feeling and then snapping back into character. 
Weird. Oh gosh. Like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be sad. Yeah. That very strange. Yeah. Oh, that it it reminds me of I won't I won't say the name because I feel like it just I I shouldn't. But it reminds me of a certain person um who was in the news several years ago mm-hmm. for something kind of similar and then had a on-screen interview. And if anybody's paid any attention about this, they, they'll probably immediately know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, uh, it reminds me a lot like that, like unable to totally keep the facade up. And then when they realize, oh yeah, I need to act a certain way, then they yeah. do. And then it's kind of obvious, like mm-hmm. this is not natural. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the yeah. one person who needed absolutely no convincing that Trout had something to do with Zona's death was, of course, Mary Jane. She tried a few different things to get Zona's death more seriously looked into, but she was met with so much resistance that she was left with no other choice but to bury her daughter on the side of Sewell Mountain at the Sewell, Sewell I think it's pronounced Sewell, United Methodist Church graveyard, and to attempt to move forward without her daughter. An impossibly difficult task for any mother. Yeah. And so after the wake was over, Mary Jane was going through the items left behind at the wake. And that's when she found the rolled up sheet that Trout had seemed so obsessive over. So she thought it would be nice to just return it to him. Yeah. But when she tried, he declined to take it. It was kind of one of those things that's like, oh, well, I mean, okay. So she folded the sheet back up. And when she did, she noticed a strange smell coming from the sheet. So she decided to wash it. Very normal decision-making. She threw the sheet into a washing basin and began to scrub it, so like with her hands. Yeah. And when she did, the water immediately turned bright red, like blood red. Oh. A few moments later, the whole sheet turned a pink color and the water in the basin was no longer red at all. It was just clear water again. This was a super bizarre, inexplicable experience for her, obviously, and she believed that this was some kind of sign from above that Zona had, in fact, been murdered. Hmm. She couldn't find any other explanation for it. Very weird. Super weird. So after that strange incident, Mary Jane began praying every single night that Zona would return to her and tell her how she died. Fervently and without ceasing, Mary Jane prayed and prayed and prayed for her daughter to come back and give her answers. She just begged God, please send her back to me just so she can tell me what happened. Yeah. And after weeks of praying like this, her prayers were answered. So for the next four nights, Zona appeared to her mother at night right there by her bedside. It would start with the temperature dropping to a cold chill. Then a bright light would appear in the room. Then Zona's apparition would materialize, and there she would be, looking almost exactly like she did in life. Weird. Very, very strange. At first, Zona appeared to be hesitant to tell her mother what exactly had happened to her. She did tell her that, yes, she had been murdered, but believed that it would be too difficult to tell her mother why and how she died. But finally, she told her. Zona told Mary Jane that Trout had been abusive and cruel to her from the minute that they said, I do, and that on the night of her murder, he'd flown into a blind rage when he returned home from work and discovered that Zona hadn't prepared any meat with their dinner. Oh, yikes. So this guy's the worst. And I yeah. didn't bury the lead on him at all because he's the worst. Yeah. He grabbed her around the throat, squeezing harder and harder, crushing her windpipe and breaking her neck. Oh, 
To demonstrate this point to her mother, Zona faced away from her and then turned her head completely around until it was facing backwards. And after that moment, the ghost of Zona Heaster's shoe never appeared again. Hmm. That's really sad. Oh my gosh. Horribly sad. Yeah. The morning after this final meeting with her daughter, Mary Jane was determined to do something about it. But what could she do? It's not exactly a common occurrence that a ghost's testimony could be heard and used in a court of law. Not often. To solve a crime. Like, that just doesn't really happen. (laughs) Yeah. And so Mary Jane, along with her brother-in-law, went to the local prosecutor, a guy by the name of John Alfred Preston, and asked him if there was anything that he could do to help get her daughter's death more seriously looked into. And believe it or not, Preston agreed to help her. Wow. She told him about her experience with Zona's ghost and what she had told her that she'd been killed by her husband in a fit of rage. She also pushed the fact that the post-mortem exam had been such a disaster, and when Preston spoke with Dr. Knapp, he was told that, yeah, the exam was pretty rushed and definitely incomplete. Oh, geez. Now he's going to finally come clean. It's interesting, though, because he didn't lose a wink of sleep before then from what I could find. It's not like he was also being visited by the ghost who was like, hey, could you maybe do your job? Right. He was just like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't, didn't really I didn't, do anything. I didn't do my best on this one. Oh, right. Well, there are also all. Yeah, right. Very. So aloof of it. Of he's him. not my favorite either. Yeah. So there had also been a news article that had come out where certain anonymous citizens had been talking and many agreed that Zona's death had been suspicious at best. Hmm. With that, after several hours of discussion, Preston agreed that the best course of action was to exhume Zona's body and he ordered an autopsy for her remains. Wow. So within just a few days, an exhumation was ordered. Finally, on February 22nd, 1897, Zona's body was exhumed and taken to the Nickel Schoolhouse in order to undergo the autopsy. So they literally brought her to a one-room schoolhouse and dismissed the children for the day. Well, that's a pretty cool reason to get out of school. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad about that. Right. So I think it was because the schoolhouse was pretty close to the graveyard. And so it would be a practical Yeah option, but it still kind of sounds insane that they just like brought her into a one room schoolhouse and (laughs) just like laid her down and did the autopsy. Right. Well, and it's also not like immediately after death. So it's, you know, it doesn't need to be quite a, quite a sterile of an environment. Mm -hmm. I would imagine, I guess I don't know, but yeah, who knows? Okay. So anyways, the local newspaper reported that Trout had quote, vigorously complained about the exhumation, but despite his protests, he was actually ordered to attend the autopsy. Oh. To which he responded with, quote, they will not be able to prove I did it, end quote. Wow. Which, like, sorry, what? Like, I'm sorry, who would say that? Only someone guilty. <laughs> right? So a team of doctors performed the autopsy over the course of three hours under the supervision of an inquest jury made up of five men, including Andy Jones, the boy who had found Zona's body, mm. and Trout Shoe, along with other witnesses and curious citizens who wanted to watch the proceedings. Thanks to the cold winter temperatures at the time of Zona's burial, she had been nearly perfectly preserved. Nice. A fact that certainly made the autopsy process much more clear and simple. That is awesome. Wow. According to a report from March 9th, 1897, the doctors had discovered that Zona's neck was broken, dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. Her ligaments had been torn and ruptured, and her windpipe had been crushed. Wow. Her cause of death was strangulation, which sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Like oddly similar to the claim that Mary Jane made 
about our conversation with Zona's ghost. The public, isn't that so wild? Wow. The public was promptly made aware of the autopsy findings and Erasmus Trout's shoe was promptly arrested and charged with Zona's murder. Trout remained confident that the evidence stacked against him was merely circumstantial and that there was still no way that it could be proven that he had been the one who had strangled his wife. But despite this, after he was locked in a small jail in Lewisburg, he was indicted on his murder charge and formal charges were brought against him to which he pled not guilty. Sure. But thankfully, while awaiting trial, more information came out about Trout. So not only was Zona not his first wife, but she wasn't his second wife either. Oh. And she was not the only one who had died under mysterious circumstances. No way. So his first wife, Allie Esteline Cutlip, had married Trout, had a child with him, and then promptly got divorced, claiming that he had been frequently and violently abusing her. His second wife, Lucy Ann Tritt, had been married to Trout for about eight months at the time that she died due to a mysterious head injury. According to Trout, Lucy had died because she had accidentally fallen and struck her head on a rock. Oh my God. I literally hate this guy. But now with all this new information, he was looking more suspicious than ever. A known abuser. I mean, he's a known abuser with more than one wife being killed under mysterious circumstances. Also while awaiting trial, Trout happily announced to other inmates that he had finished his grieving of Zona and was looking forward to making his dreams come true of having seven wives and that he was still young and attractive. So he was about halfway to his goal. Oh my gosh. Like, what's the luck? Wow. Like, that's where his brain is during this whole thing. He's very confident that this is just like a little bump in the road and he's just on his way. On his way to, like, so he's forcing his way to seven wives. That's what he wants. I mean, he's killed two of them. Right. So finally, on June 22nd, 1897, Trout's trial began, and the star witness was none other than Mary Jane Heaster. Really? mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. She was it. So Preston, the prosecutor, had admittedly a very tricky job ahead of him. With Mary Jane being the first person to bring the circumstances of Zona's death to light, and as the mother of the witness, it made sense to bring her in to testify. But he had to prove that she was of sane mind in order for her testimony to be reliable— And so he strictly avoided all questions surrounding Mary Jane's ghostly encounter. Mm. He was like, I'm not even going to bring it up. Yeah. We want you to be a reliable witness. We don't want anyone to think you're crazy. Like, I believe you, Mm -hmm. but we're going to leave that out of the equation. And strangely enough, it would be Mary Jane's testimony about Zona's ghost that would put the nail in Trout's coffin, so to speak. Really? So Trout's attorney thought that the ghost questions would be a slam dunk and that Mary Jane would just be written off as delusional and unreliable. So he went right for it, asking her question after question about her alleged conversation with her daughter's ghost. And Mary Jane remained consistent in her story, never wavering, never changing a single detail, and not shying away from all of the questions being thrown at her. And because the defense questioned Mary Jane about the ghost and not the prosecution, the judge actually couldn't tell the jury to disregard that particular part of her testimony. Hmm. Not only that, but the whole community knew the he- knew the Heasters. They loved the Heasters. Right. And they believed that Mary Jane truly had a conversation with the ghost of her daughter. Like, they believed her. Wow. And we also have to consider the fact that the testimony that her daughter's ghost provided about how she died did line up directly with her injuries. Yeah. Trout went on to testify on his own behalf assuming his charm would get him off the hook for murder once again. But he would be wrong. 
(laughs) The jury deliberated for a short time and came back with the verdict of guilty. But they couldn't agree on whether or not the death penalty was the best option. And so Trout was sentenced to life in prison. Hmm. The citizens of the town were not happy with the sentencing, however. And in July of that same year, they formed a lynch mob that attempted to storm the jail and carry out their own sentence. They were furious. They thought this is not justice. The sheriff was alerted that a mob was forming. And so an officer actually snuck Shu out of the jail and hid him in the woods until the mob was disbanded and sent home. Some of them actually did end up receiving criminal charges for forming the mob, but they were like, had they actually made their way into the jail, they 100% would have killed him and felt great about it. Right. They were furious. Wow. And so I I do wonder if part of that is like a familiarity and like a a care for the Heasters, but also just like the cultural idea of being a wife beater or a wife killer. Yeah. Being so detestable, especially in a small town like this. I mean, even still today— from from my understanding, from doing a little bit of stuff in prisons, is if that is what you're in there for, you you are you're a not scum. a crowd favorite. Yeah. Yes, yeah, you're no one is a fan of you. Right, right, rightfully oh. so, in my opinion. Yeah. So it was decided that Trout was not safe at the local prison, so he was moved to the West Virginia State Penitentiary at Moundsville, where he died on March 13, 1900, due to an epidemic that ravaged the area around that time. Hmm. It's believed that he was buried in an unmarked grave at Tom's Run Cemetery nearby, as that was common practice for burying unclaimed remains at the time. But there's no record one way or the other. And so the ultimate fate of Erasmus Trout Shoe is unknown. Oh, man. That's honestly just desserts. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me, too. Zona's ghost never returned to Greenbrier, but Mary Jane's story left a permanent mark on Greenbrier County. There's a historical roadside marker on Highway 60 that was erected in honor of this very strange case that reads, quote, interred in a nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of the murder, was sentenced to state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost Helped convict a murderer. End quote. That's an actual monument in it is. America. Yeah, you can see it's a picture of it's on Google. I'll probably put it on the Instagram. <laughs> That's amazing. Zona was buried in the Seoul United Methodist Cemetery a short time after her autopsy was completed and would receive a marked headstone after her burial. People still visit her gravesite and leave her flowers. Oh, that's sweet. And that's what I have for you today. Regional celebrity, honestly. She is. That's She's amazing. Like, like, that story is legendary. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad that it sounds like, even though it didn't turn out, you know, like they found her alive and wow, amazing. But Mm -hmm. like, in spite of those unfortunate circumstances, justice was served. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like even to kind of a cosmic level. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Right. That's, that's a wild story. It is. And I feel like I've, I've heard of that sentiment of, there being one or the first or the only mm-hmm. uh, murder case ever solved by a ghost, <laughs> yeah. essentially by the, by the victim's ghost. Um, so it has legs on its own. I just don't know if that's one that I've heard. If it's the only one I've ever heard of, or if it's- I feel like there's another one that's relatively famous, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, that would make sense. But it's possible it could have 
I don't know, it could have been more recent, could have been not in the United States or something like that. Yeah. But I just think that that is such a fascinating story and that people chose to believe Mary Jane. Yeah. And just follow up on it. That's how trustworthy she was. Yeah. She had a reputation for someone that was not only already beloved, Mm -hmm. but trustworthy. She wasn't just going to like go after some guy just because. Mm -hmm. It was a legitimate thing. Wow. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. If you are not already, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you haven't yet, please leave a glowing five-star review. Those reviews help other people who listen to podcasts like this one to find it. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at this one is a doozy. And on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. You can also connect with us even more directly. We said this at the beginning of the episode over on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell them a little bit about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or our Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash doozy pod. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Supporters on Patreon get access to all of our content ad-free, as well as two monthly bonus episodes that are exclusive to Patreon. And for the whole month of October, Patreon listeners are going to get the same bonus episodes as the regular scheduled programming and all of that. But they're also going to get a weekly Mm -hmm. bonus fictional episode each Friday on the dot. And so if you want to get in on that, head on over to Patreon. That's right. It's going to be party time over on Patreon. That's for sure. So don't miss out. Well, everybody, with that, we will see you later this week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.